0: The Accidental Entrepreneur is produced by Hacker Law and brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services.
1: And so that was 2014. We put um, what we call the American Artisan Series, um, a product of Vortec Watch Company, on Kickstarter in November of 2014, um, and the rest is history. We sold every watch we've ever made since. So, did you guys did you guys write a business plan at that point? Had you written one in college? what What did you have at that point? Yeah. So we we won two business plan competitions in college oh, nice. um, okay. for Vortec, um, but we started with a different idea. Our original idea on the golf course was a watch that that fit a little better. Um, we called it twist to fit. Like you twisted a knob on the watch and it tightened around your wrist in like really small increments. Got it. Um, so that it would be like a sports watch. Right.
0: Um, yeah, because the other and, way is it never fits perfectly. It takes some links out it yeah.
1: still moves. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
1: so, so we, we invented that. We actually still own a patent on that
2: idea. Okay.
1: Um, and, and we were pitching that for business playing competitions and we raised some money, but like, Basically the advice we got around that is, is, Hey guys, that's really cool, but that's going to cost a fortune to develop. So like maybe start with something else that's more minimum viable product and then, and then ease into it. And so that's why we came up with, we came up with a bunch of other ideas, but the one that stuck is um, we salvage and and restore antique American pocket watches Mm -hmm. from about a hundred years ago, just the insides of those pocket watches and we turn them into one-of-a-kind wristwatches. The information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only. It is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind. You should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions.
0: The dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise, especially a business, usually with considerable initiative and risk. People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work. And they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say, their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode.
1: Hi, I'm RT Custer, co-founder and CEO of Vortec Watch Company. We salvage and restore antique American pocket watches and turn them into one-of-a-kind wristwatches. And you can learn more at VortecWatches.com. All right, RT, so
0: I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I told you there's a storm coming in Jersey, said you got some snow out in Colorado on a Friday afternoon. I guess, what is it, an hour earlier by you, 2.30? Uh, two hours. Yeah. Two hours. So it's one Thursday. It's like midday for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't remember if, uh, your assistant, was it Bella? Mm -hmm. I don't know if she found me or I, I don't know. I can never keep track of everything, but we got connected somehow.
1: We probably found you through, we use a, a service called Oscar Hamilton. Oh yeah, um, sure. And they, yeah. And they source, um, you know, podcast interviews for, for people like me and they've yeah, I get, been doing yeah, a great
0: job by them all the time. So I'm excited. And my son is a huge watch enthusiast. When I told him you were coming on the show, he's like, Oh, those are so cool. He's in college. And he's like, awesome. you got to get one. I'm like, you got three grand, you know, it's like, it's a little <laughs> out of his. he doesn't even have his first job yet. So it's something to, <laughs> something to work towards. But, um, you know, I told you the podcast is about telling your story and your journey to where you are. And then we'll talk about the business. And I know you have some other businesses actually also, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you want to go back, talk about you know where you grew up, your educational background. And uh, I know you, I forget, you told me you are an engineer, you have an engineering degree or something. So we'll get That's into correct. all that stuff. Okay, good. See, so I read the bio a little while ago. Yeah, and, yeah um, and then so take me through your story. Let's go back and then I'll ask you questions as we go.
1: For sure. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania, about an hour west of Philadelphia. And technically I was in Gogglersville, Pennsylvania, which is a little okay. town um, outside of Reading. And um, I am a fourth generation Christmas tree farm owner. Uh, ah. So my my great grandfather started DeLong Christmas Tree Farm there in, in Pennsylvania um, in 1941. And, okay. and that's Your that family still in the business? Um, so long story short on, on the business is, um, you know, Chris, Christmas trees are, are not, uh, today a a profitable business unless you're huge. Uh, and so the, the business started to flutter and when I was in college, um, and then, uh, my, my mom took over, um, the family business, um, basically when I went to college and, um, in, in 2020, uh, unfortunately uh, we lost my mom to cancer. Sounds um, and, and with that, we, we basically lost, uh, the momentum of, of the business. And, um, and I went ahead and, uh, as, as an only child, um, and now living in Colorado with my own family, two kids, right. my own, uh, I, I decided to, to sell the, sell the business, sell the farm. Um, and it's still in operation. Um, oh, the, the family okay. that, that bought it, um, took it over and uh, still using the family name, um, and having fun with it. I've, I've driven by and saw all the renovations they did on, on my, uh, my grandparents' home and, um, it's looking great. sounds like they're doing great. And yeah, so I'm um, really, back. really proud that, that they yeah. were able to kind of resurrect it. Um, it's but, funny. I don't know but, yeah. a lot about that business,
0: but I just closed on a client's property. He bought a farm up in uh, Northern Jersey. And it had a Christmas tree farm. And he's like, I want to, I want to keep this going, but I'm not going to do it. So He's got a guy and we had to find like a, like a farm attorney up there.
1: We're working on all the approvals and everything like that. So it's something I didn't really know anything about. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating business. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed that I got to grow up, um, I mean, on a farm and, and that being the, it was really our, our side hustle, uh, as a family forever, because I mean, my. My group, my great grandfather started it, and my grandfather went to Duke um, and studied was a doctorate in forestry from Duke. Wow! And so, you know, he was just an expert at all things trees, and especially um, Christmas trees. And and he he worked his whole career for the state of Pennsylvania as a forester. Oh, okay. Um And then we had the the family farm. That obviously, you know, really the the biggest issue with the Christmas tree farm is it only makes revenue for. 20 days right. a year <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. um,
1: and the rest of the year you're spending yeah, it's all the or most of or more money. Yeah. yeah. You got to write, you got
0: to cultivate these things and get them to grow yep. for the, for the harvest yep. basically.
1: But, 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 you know, it, because of all that, um, my, my grandparents and my parents were able to teach me a lot of great lessons about, um, entrepreneurship, about sure. what it's like to run a business, about, um, financial things. Um, and you know, from the age of about five or six, I was out selling trees every every holiday season. yeah. Um I, that's how I learned marketing and sales is is from my my grandparents and my parents, uh, just kind of bringing me up in there. and um and and, yeah, so when i i I, I was always interested in in Legos and building things and how things worked. And so right. even though both my parents were in marketing and advertising, they kind of um, pushed me in the direction of, of originally architecture, uh-huh. um, but I, I ended up going to school. I went to Penn State and studied engineering. So I, I graduated okay. with an industrial engineering degree, which is uh, more on like the supply chain and logistics side of, uh-huh. of
2: engineering. Okay.
1: Um, and and that that's really, you know, I, I've, I've grew up around marketing, advertising, small business ownership, um, and I love that stuff. You know, for instance, my, my family, when we watched the Super Bowl every year, they would like, we, I, I still call it sports ball. I'm not a sports person. <laughs> um, my parents never were, um, but they, they would mute the sports ball and then they would turn it back on when the ads came on. And they would tell me like, here's how much Pepsi and Coke spent on that ad and here's That's why so they funny. did it. And like, they just like, they nerded out about that yeah. stuff. And, and, and so do, and so do went I, to
0: Penn state, big 10. <laughs> I think
1: you'd be a big college football fan. We we got
0: Indiana. My son's graduating there. My yeah. daughter's in Maryland. Awesome. My wife went to Florida State. Cool. So we're big college
1: football fans. So I'm surprised yeah. you don't know, like well, you have know, the RV college- and drive
0: out there every. <laughs> every
1: game college college football is the only um the only sport I I I mildly follow um because of Penn State you know I I went to games in person I sat in the student section I mean it's I feel like it's a bucket list thing for so many people is 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 to go to gotta go to a whiteout or something yeah exactly go to a whiteout or something like that I mean it's it's amazing so so I love that I I definitely you know I want to get back there and and go to a game I want to take my kids to a game once they're old enough to appreciate it and stuff like that so so yeah I'm I'm a fan but i would definitely call myself a bandwagon penn state fan yeah no i mean i have friends out
0: pennsylvania (laughs) they literally go in their rv to every single game i don't even know if they leave the rv and go in the stadium (laughs) very often but it's it's like a religion you know and it is in a lot of the midwest states you know indiana's the same way for basketball and football yeah
1: yeah it's pretty cool. Well, and, and, and that's, that's why my, you know, my, my mom went to Penn state and so that's she, cool. she basically, I went visited Indiana. I visited some of the other uh, big 10, great schools. And um, I I decided to go to Penn state for a number of reasons, but, but that, that experience, you know, that many people in one place and yeah. and that like cult following that, that Penn state sports and academics has, this is, is yeah. why I wanted to go there. Um, and the other reason is, I didn't know, I thought I wanted to do something in engineering, but I didn't know like what type of engineering. I didn't even, I couldn't even wrap my head around what the, all the versions were, but Penn State is like top 10 in Man, I don't know, 10 different engineering degrees. Yeah. So, um, so that's why I ended up going there. And, and been, yeah, so, so it, when did you graduate then? Um, 2014.
0: Okay. So did they have the hub at that point, mm-hmm. the huge yeah. student center? They had it already? Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there. <laughs> yeah. um, Crazy what school's yeah. like now and was like 30 years ago. You know, we didn't have that stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's my, my mom just loved to, to come up and visit because, you know, she would tell me uh, reminiscing stories about all the all the different places that, that did exist or still existed, but Yeah, are probably when now your mom was
0: stuff. there, the creamery was there, right? But not yep. the hub. That's all
1: new. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I studied um, and graduated with industrial engineering degree, um, but throughout college, um, I kind of dabbled in a bunch of different things. Um, when I was a freshman, I got recruited by College Works Painting, which uh-huh. is a multi-level marketing company doing yeah. exterior house painting uh, with college kids in the summer. And um, when I was 19, I ran a six-figure painting business in, in the summer. And it was such an amazing experience, taught me everything I know about like yeah, that's individual entrepreneurship. Right. Um, you have guys working and, for you too, you had to learn to manage them and the whole thing, you had a team. Yeah, right? so I, I, yeah, yeah. I had three different crews of painters um, to do the work. Um, I had crews of people that went door to door, you know, trying to develop the the business. Um, and, and I, I was kind of like the, the job site supervisor on a lot of that stuff. And that was their shtick.
0: Like they find college kids to do it during the summer and they expect when you're done with college, I move on. Right. And the next group comes in.
1: Yeah. And they take a, uh, they take a cut, you know, for giving yeah. you all the insurance and the equipment and the knowledge and all that stuff. Um, but, but yeah, I'm grateful you know? to CollegeWorks. Yeah. And, and they, you know, they taught me so much um, just by, I mean, just throwing you into the ring, you know, you kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. Um, now that's and, not and the
2: that, group
0: out of Canada is that there, there was a group, a guy I met um, he was on my podcast. Uh, his name is Chris Thompson. His company I think is called Student awesome. Works. They do exactly the same thing though. They do there's,
1: summer. There's like, businesses. Four different companies that do basically the same thing. There's there's yeah. college works, there's student works, there's um, college painters, and there's one other I'm forgetting. And it's pretty competitive again um,
0: in the program, right? I mean, because you can make good money yeah. if you're really hustling during the summer.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, revenue in my business, and it was just me running this little painting business. Um, you know, I did I think 129000 yeah, um in, the over summer, the summer, right? And and you know, net profit to me, cash in the bank, maybe 20, 25 of that. Okay, so that's 20%, um, which is a it, very good profit margin. Yeah. And at 19, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's a fortune. I was, yeah. I was sitting pretty, <laughs> right? I mean, like, look, you great. and I both know there's some um, small business
0: owners don't do $120,000 in a year in revenue.
1: For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And so, so yeah. So that was, that was my first like business that I totally did myself. Um, I, I had a lot of fun with it and, um, decided to do it again. Um, kind of like move up the, the ladder as it were and, and recruit other, other people. And, Um, one of the guys I recruited his name is Tyler Wolf, and he ended up becoming uh, my business partner in Vortec watch company, um, which we still run today. So that's, that's kind of the origin story. We, he was, he was also running a painting business uh, with college works and we just became uh, friends through that program. Um, you know, we talked about golf. And so, um, when we went back to Penn state the next semester, um, we started playing golf together. Um, and we, we had the idea for Vortec watch company on the golf course, um, one afternoon. (laughs) So so
0: did you, and we're going to talk more about Vortec, but did you go to work? Did you get a job coming out of school or did the two of you say, we're going, we're starting this company?
1: Yeah. So, um, both. (laughs) Um, so, so we, um, my my junior year i got a great internship with sam's club down in bentonville arkansas Uh sure um and and i I I worked actually it's a good place to learn about logistics right for sure yeah i mean you know that's and that's why i wanted to go to penn state i think one of my one of my advisors at school one time he said your your resume is is all about the the logos and the brands that you put on it you know and so far you like i had i had penn state I did an internship with Procter and Gamble in manufacturing, so yeah. big,
2: Old big resume stuff, builder. Right.
1: And then, and then I walked into to Sam's Club, you know, the, the little brother of Walmart. Right. Um, and and got an internship there. I spent six months in Arkansas, and then they hired me full time in Walmart logistics, which is like the top of the top. I mean, a lot of people don't don't think about Walmart being like the. Right ideal dream job but for me it was because oh my god they're moving packages you know, i was
0: all over the world all the time they are the world's day, largest
1: right? logistics operation oh, um surprising. and i mean billions of boxes being yeah. moved around all all the time and and i you know i was 22 and i had a 20 million dollar capital budget um basically installing Robots and conveyor systems in warehouses um, in mostly in the Southeast warehouses that were about as old as I was, you know, they were, they were uh, built in the, the late eighties, early nineties, and they needed renovated to, to brought up to basically compete with Amazon. You know, that was, that was my, you know, this is 2014 to 2016. Right, so before the pandemic, two Amazon so.
0: boomed after, but so did Walmart yeah.
1: during the pandemic. Yeah.
0: So they For didn't sure. have and, everything did go through Bentonville. They had, they had different locations. Mm-hmm. right. To move their products. Oh around. yeah.
1: Oh, so there's, there's, I think 170 distribution centers that Walmart has around the country, so the trucks um, take um, to stuff support air and then sure. Yep. And they have, they have uh, at that time, when I worked there, they had almost 10,000 trucks in the fleet. Um, and they had, you know, about 10,000 stores. And so, you know, you, you put the distribution centers in, in common locations that make sense sure. logistically. Right. And so they, they actually, they stationed me in, in Loveland, Colorado, um which ah, is just south okay. of where i live now in in fort collins. Got it. And so that's how i got here to colorado is walmart said hey do you want to you can either stay in here in bentonville and, and work for the home office and travel yeah. around or you can go to colorado they need help there in that distribution center and and then you'll travel a lot because and that's why they put me in colorado is you know denver if you didn't know is the third largest airport in the world. Yeah, i'm not <laughs> so, surprised. I know uh, denver's a big it's, airport. It's, yeah. Yeah. So it's just very inexpensive to fly around the country from Denver. And so that's why they put me there.
2: Okay, um, okay. Makes and, sense. and so
1: I was traveling around doing all kinds of uh, basically internal consulting for, for Walmart logistics. So do they
0: have and, their um, own fleet of planes? Like they're moving tons of packages every day, right?
1: Aircraft, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I would assume that they have at least some, um, but, you know, they have trucks. And that's, that's really the backbone of, of Walmart is the trucking. Um, Got it. Got it. And so so yeah, so that was my job out of college. And then um, Tyler was was doing um, basically a, a business where he was fixing iPhones. So it was called iCracked. Um uh, uh-huh. and and he was like almost going like door to door or you know, business to business, fixing people's cracked screens on phones. And, you know, that, that was good money, but, but he wasn't, he wasn't like stoked about it. It wasn't like a long-term thing for him. So he came out to visit me after I moved to Colorado and he was just like, man, this place is awesome. Um, I'd love to move here. And I don't know exactly how it came up, but we decided like, Hey, I have an extra room in my house. Um, why don't you come out here, Tyler? And, and we'll start that watch company that we were talking about in college. Um, and so that was 2014. We put um, what we call the American Artisan Series, um, a product of Vortic Watch Company, on Kickstarter in November of 2014, um, and the rest is history. We sold every watch we've ever made since. So, did
0: you guys did you guys write a business plan at that point? Had you written one in college? What what did you have at that point?
2: Yeah.
1: So we we won two business plan competitions in college oh, nice. um, okay. for Vortec. Um, but we started with a different idea. Our original idea on the golf course was a watch that that fit a little better. Um, we called it twist to fit. Like you twisted a knob on the watch and it tightened around your wrist in like really small increments. Got it. Um, so that it would be like a sports watch. Right. Um, yeah, because the other way is it never fits perfectly. It takes some links out yeah. and still moves. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And so, so we, we invented that. We actually still own a patent on that idea. Okay. Um, and, and we were pitching that for business plan competitions and we raised some money, but like, basically the advice we got around that is, is, Hey guys, that's really cool, but that's going to cost a fortune to develop. So like maybe start with something else that's more minimum viable product and then, and then ease into it. And so that's why we came up with, we came up with a bunch of other ideas, but the one that stuck is um, we salvage and, re- and restore antique American pocket watches mm-hmm. from about a hundred years ago, just the insides of those pocket watches. And we turn them into one of a kind wristwatches. And, and the reason we got there is because we wanted to, if we were going to make a, a different product than the original one we thought of, we wanted to make something that was really cool, um, that we could build a brand out of, you know, that people would really get a following behind. Right. And then, uh, was a hundred percent or as close to a hundred percent made in USA as possible. Um, because made in America in 2014 was kind of at an all time high as far as yeah. like search results and popularity.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and so we wanted to, you know, try to cash in on that, ride the wave of, of American made and, and and also from an integrity of manufacturing standpoint, it was like, man, that's probably the right thing to do with these old pocket watches. And, um, and yeah, we put that idea on Kickstarter and um, people really rallied behind it. They thought it was a great idea upcycling, saving these old things, making one of a kind stuff. Um, well, did you
2: have the us- watches
1: at that point? I mean, I don't know anything about Kickstarter. Can you just do a Kickstarter campaign, not have a product yet?
2: Just uh, an idea. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, you can. Absolutely can. Okay.
1: Yep. Um, so we, I call it minimum viable product today. But but to be honest with you, we we took an old pocket watch, we three D printed a case for it, and we super glued it together, and took pictures of it, and put it on the internet. Instead, it's called a prototype. Um, that's good. Yeah, we we were just like, hey, this is our idea. We don't really know how we're going to make it, but that's kind of the point of Kickstarter. Um, if we raise at least $10,000, we'll put all that $10,000 into the development of the first product. And then we'll go from there. And we raised $40,000 in 30 days. Nice. Um, and then, and then he, Tyler started making them and figuring out how to set it all up from a manufacturing standpoint. Um, now you had orders and and you had to fill them. Yeah. We had to fill those orders. It took us about a year to make the watches we sold on Kickstarter, Um, and then I still had my corporate job with Walmart at that point. So my role was, was basically just nights and weekends, um, raising money, figuring out financing, you know, just like to be in the the foundation financially of the business. Um, plus we were doing all the work, you know, Tyler was living and working in, in the house that I bought when I got out here. And so, um, I was just kind of his stability, I guess, um, uh, for those first couple of years. And then, uh, yeah, in 2017, I, I think it was like summer of 2017, um, I left the corporate job and uh, went full time Vortec and been so ever since. We've we've hired about on average like one employee a year since since then, and still have a small team, but um, yeah, you know, a, a decent sized business now, and just trying to make as many watches as we can. <laughs> now you're manufacturing the watch; you're putting them together
0: in house, right?
1: Yes, yes, yeah. So we. We started by um, having contract manufacturers make all the parts, um, and then we would just assemble it, make the box, and then ship it, it to the customer. Um, and over the span of like 2016 to 2019, we brought almost all of it in house. Um, so now we have our own. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we have all yeah. our own manufacturing, which it was. It ended up being just absolutely perfect timing. By the by, the beginning of 2019, we were making. 90 percent of the cost of goods in fort collins colorado um and so when the pandemic hit we didn't stop we didn't need to figure out how to get something out of China, like absolutely right. nothing For from nothing from our product comes from a month yeah, and a half. Yeah, right? it, it can't, you know, it yeah. just, that's not where our stuff comes from. And so I think that's why we, we our 2020 was our best sales year ever. Um, we produced the highest quality watches you could buy, you know, and, and, uh, and we went all in on, on kind of a new focus, which was, you know, we, we, I would say until 2019, we were basically made to order, you know, uh-huh. custom orders that we would kind of make when we got them. And then in late 2019, we tested an idea of, um, we called it a, a, the watch of the day. So um, right, I've seen one, on website, one watch right? every day at 12 noon. And um, we we just went all in on that concept in 2020, because people didn't want to pay us a few thousand dollars and then wait, eight to 12 weeks for their watch um, right. in the middle of a pandemic. Like just the unknown of everything um, was was stressful. Yeah, isn't this, and so, this is your
0: website, right?
1: Uh, so you come out with a different watch yeah. every day, not like once a month? Nope, every, every weekday currently, Monday through Friday at 12 noon Mountain Time, we release one new one of a kind watch. Um, yeah, so here's the watch then, of the day, the Lancaster's today's watch, right? Yep. And it's the Lancaster 123. So that's the 123rd watch we've made using a Hamilton pocket watch movement. That's how that works. Got it. Got
0: it. Got it. Okay. So let me ask yeah. you a question. So it mm-hmm. says sold, right? So those are sold out, right? It's basically Correct. what so obviously you're using vintage and, and I want to get into the business and the way you run the business, the whole thing, but I'm curious about yeah. the product. You're you're selling vintage repurposed pocket watches, right? Mm-hmm. How yep. many can you make, I mean, how many of these pocket watches do you get a whole, Do you get your hands on? Is it, you end up finding them and there's a case of them
1: or, uh, yeah. Yeah, awesome question. So we um, we buy out estate sales. Anytime a pawn shop mm-hmm. or a jewelry store goes out of business, they typically have a whole bunch of pocket watches in the back that somebody forgot about. Um, pawn shops scrap pocket watches for the gold and silver of their case, leaving the movement mm-hmm. dial in hands, the guts of the pocket watch, basically trash to those people. Um, and that's you know we're upcycling trash to treasure. We're trying to use that antique American piece of history, right? It's an right. old pocket watch. Um, usually they were made between the year 1900 and 1940 um, okay. on average. That's that's the that's era. The pocket there, watch
0: time, right? When people
1: yeah, I mean, pocket
0: watch. Yeah.
1: Well, nineteen. 20 um there was no way to tell time besides a clock and a pocket watch um, and obviously no phones at that time and so okay. um, the only thing you had in your pocket was your your wallet and your pocket watch <laughs> right. um and so so that's that's the era that they're from and and that's really our, our mission is to just save as many of those as we can um, but a lot of people don't know that between 1850 and 1950 ish
2: okay
1: um, in that hundred years, over 100 million pocket watches were manufactured in the United States. Okay. Um, back then, you know, to talk in the early 1900s, America was basically the Switzerland of the world. We made all the best uh, mechanical watches and they yeah. were all pocket watches. Okay. Um, and so there's a lot of them out there. You just have to know yeah, where to find look. them. Um, yeah. and, and then you have to have the, the hardest thing for us is not actually finding the pocket watches. It's restoring them fixing them, making them work until time again. Got it. And that's because that's a skilled trade. And and if you follow the skilled trade gap right now, um, there are not enough, you know, just like there's not enough plumbers and, you know, mechanics in the world, there's very much so not enough watchmakers. There's not enough people, especially in America that know how to fix an old pocket watch or wristwatch for that matter. Right. Um, And so we employ, I mean, I would venture to bet we work with a third of of the entire population of United States based watchmakers that are able to do what we do. Um, And so we, we kind of have ownership over this niche in several ways. Um, And that's, and that's
2: what we do.
0: If you go into a a pawn shop, let's say, or an estate sale, Mm -hmm. I mean, how many pocket watches do you find that are the same? I mean, I understand you might find a, a lot of pocket watches, but you're trying to make like a line of watches, kind of, right? You know, you're not just going to yeah. throw things. Hey, there's one of these. One of th-. if I'm going to buy a <laughs> Lancaster today, how many watches are available in the Lancaster 123? uh Just one. It's completely oh, it's one just of a kind, one.
1: totally unique piece, oh, and that's so that's every day that's you have one it, watch for sale. And it's one of a kind, and when it's sold, it's gone. That's it. Yep, got it. So and you're that's, not that's why like the business of of works. or whatever. No, that's it. Yeah. So it's, oh. we make our business model super simple with watch of the day, um, you know, five days a week. That's roughly 260 watches a year. Right. Um, and, and, and then,
0: okay, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: And that's, and that's solid. We're trying to get to seven watches a week if we can. Um, so that'd be 365. That'd be awesome. Um, but that's top. That's the best we can do. 365 watches a year in that program is, is the best we can do. We also, if you have, you know, your grandfather's or your grandmother's pocket watch. Um, We have a service called Convert Your Watch where we receive uh, pocket watches. We can turn them into wristwatches for a service. Um, That's probably about 20% of our business. You know, we'll do 50 to 75 of those a year. Um, And then then we also have fun limited editions like the military edition. And so um, to answer your other question, almost none of the pocket watches are the same. They were okay. made by the same company in the same year, but the face, the dial of the pocket watch is different. You know, okay. it, they all, and if you scroll through that page, you were just on, you'll see every single one. is just a little different, you know, and, and we put different case on and make them look totally different. Right. But, um, but they're, they're, they're one of a kind. Okay. Except when we get to um, the U S military watches from world war II. Okay. So um, if you go to our slash military page, or, or the military edition is what we call it. Um we can do Hamilton right now, Watch here. Company made 120-some thousand wrist, or I'm sorry, 120,000 pocket watches with a 24-hour black dial. So the face of it is black. The numerals are white. The hands are white. Right and they made, right. yep. Yeah. And so yeah. they, they took that pocket watch and they made a, over 100,000 of them. And they were for um, the U.S. Army Air Corps, um, what we now call the Air Force at, at yep. this time. And, um, and those were called the Master Navigator's Watch. So every navigator on the bomber aircrafts in World War II was carrying one of those pocket watches. And that's how they knew what time it was. But that's also how they knew where they were. Because without GPS, you need to know what time it is. And what time you took off and where you're going, you know, um, and how fast you're going in order to figure out where you are. Um, and so that was a tool that they used in the military back then. And long story short, when we buy those, I can buy dozens of them that look the same. And so every year on veterans day, we release 50 of those that are exactly the same and it's a limited edition. Um, And for three years in a row, we've sold out within 24 to 48 hours. Um, That's definitely our most popular product. Um, And we also donate uh, $500 from the sale of that watch to the Veterans Watchmaker Initiative, which is one of the only watchmaking schools in the world. But they focus on training U.S. military vets how to be watchmakers. So it's obviously very tied into what we do.
0: Here's a word from our sponsors. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you wanna get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets and be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit created specially for our listeners care for your health care for the planet and look flipping great doing it north authentic is a conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world Their pro stylists curate only the most fabulous non-toxic hair products with better-for-you shampoos, serums, masks, and more that actually give you gorgeous hair without hurting your health or the planet. Hey, you've only got one life, one planet, and one glorious mane. Might as well treat them all as best you can, right? Try a 100% clean hair care routine prescribed just for you using their link in the show notes. If you don't see a big, beautiful difference in how your hair looks and feels, you can tell them they're crazy. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAE podcast for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. That's nice. All right. So let's talk then about the business itself, right? So, mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear that because I'm always telling people about writing a business plan. It obviously helped you guys because it got you started and you worked through the idea and then you were able to enter competitions or raise money. Um, How often would you say you go back to that? I mean, has it become kind of like a strategic planning document? in I might have gone into multiple things, but I'm sure you do strategic planning all the time, right?
1: Yeah. So... um... When we first started, we called it a business plan. Um, and I used that business plan. Uh, I had a like a 20 or 30 page business plan and a seven or eight slide pitch deck. Um, mm-hmm. And I used those to raise money. And, right. and I raised uh, seven figures for, for this company um, in the early days. And, and so that's really what I needed to talk to bankers and investors. Right. Um, today, now that we have revenue and profitability, I just have a strategic plan, which yeah. is a very refined version of that business plan. Um, it's like maybe seven or eight pages long. Yeah. Um, I don't really need the pitch deck anymore because I'm not raising money and right. bankers want to see, like r- right now we're, we're bankable. And so I just, I talk to to financiers, not um, investors, and they, they want to see more like a business plan with the financials. And so now I have that strategic plan, um, And then I have this massive spreadsheet where I just nerd out on like, okay, here's our cost of goods. Here's our, our, our projections, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and that's all that everybody needs now. Um, But to answer your question, we, we basically look at that for the, for the last few years, we've looked at it every 18 months or so. Uh Um, But my business partner, Tyler and I just did a strategic planning um, like trip uh, last week, actually. And we decided we were going to revise that strategic plan once a year. And so like first or second week of January, we are just going to look at it, refine it, send it to all of our investors, advisors, bankers, and say, all right, here's the new plan for the next two to three years based right. on last year. Um, so you still have investors in the company? Yes. Yeah, so have we a have a table you got to manage, right? Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. All the fun stuff involved <laughs> in, in all that. I send a yeah. um, I send a, a monthly, um, I send a weekly email to all of my customers and then I send a monthly update email um, to all all of my investors and just keep everyone in the loop. You know, here's cash on hand. Here's, um, uh, you know, sales last, last month, last couple months. Here's what's coming up. Um, Here's when you get your (laughs) K1, you know, all the stuff they want to know.
0: No, you want to be transparent, right? Especially if you ever need their help in the future, but if they do well in the business, they'll follow you till your, till your next thing. So what what were one or two challenges you had in terms of, you know, getting started. And then I'm curious as to what kind of challenges that you feel that you face that you would maybe do differently. Or you've learned over the, along the way uh, besides yeah, raising so, money, that was obviously part of it,
1: but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say one of the, one of the big <laughs> challenges getting started was raising money, especially um, uh, raising money for a physical product in today's digital world. You know, most yeah. investors were just like, Hey, this is cool. But like, does anyone even wear watches anymore? Right. Um, What about the Apple watch? Um, You know, I I heard like, come back to me when you have a software and app kid a lot, you know, (laughs) Um, and, and that was just kind of unfortunate. And so what I learned from that is just like, it's all about product market fit in terms of obviously customers, but also investors, you know, you just have to find people to get it. Yeah. And so thankfully we found people that, that, you know, at least like watches or just find the people. Um, So that was a big challenge. Um, The the biggest challenges that we've faced have been um, figuring out how to manufacture the product, especially manufacturing in the United States. Um, And that's, that's really. Was that a cost issue
0: or in the United States? I mean, was that
1: the, that the obstacle um, really had a. Cost, cost of goods is three to five times higher in general um, on stuff like what we do. If, if you're comparing it to China Um, and then And so for that reason, you just have, you have to charge more. And so we're, we're lucky in that our business model is highly niche and no one else there's, we don't have any competitors in this niche. Um, and, and we're selling like our marketing plan of selling one a day. It's just, just really popular people like that idea. And so we, the price is, um, what do they call it? It's, I think it's called like price flexibility or something like that, where, um, whether we charge twenty five hundred or fifty five hundred, we're still going to sell it. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really right. matter there is going to be somebody um, who is going to buy the watch. Yeah, but but for us, our cost is is now standardized. Like we've figured it out, um, and it's a lot higher than it would be if we made all the parts in China. But you know, um, it's sustainable based on the prices that we that we have to charge now. And so so that that journey of of figuring out how much it costs. Where it gets made, standardizing it, um, figuring out how much to charge and then justifying yeah. that price. I mean, that took three to five years of testing and trying and tweaking. Yeah, and, it's a lot of work. You know, all that stuff. I mean, just for an example, our watches on Kickstarter in 2014. If you had bought one then, you could buy one for uh six hundred to nine hundred dollars. Okay. Um, and well, that was because it was a Kickstarter oh. price or because
0: the we had no idea
1: what it would cost. To <laughs> right, yeah, no <laughs> like, that happens no, a lot. You go to like, "Why are you
0: charging that?" They go, "I don't know. I don't we know. thought that was a good <laughs> like, price." We had,
1: we had no. We were like, "I don't know." Like, you know, and it, you're losing can, like four hundred dollars a watch. You know, you don't even know. Oh, we were, we we <laughs> lost a ton of. I mean, yeah, we we raised forty thousand on Kickstarter, but I bet we lost from a net profit standpoint a hundred and fifty thousand oh, on you're making way the watches. Off. Like way off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we have no idea. Absolutely no idea. Right. Um and, and that's not factoring in time, you know. Yeah, it no, it's just the to actual right.
0: Cost of goods sold. I understand. Yeah. Um,
1: so, funny. so you know, we we, but that's how you learn, right? And yeah. That's, uh, what, so what hopefully it doesn't put you out of business. That's what you hope, you know. For sure. And that's what I was going to say is what Tyler and I talk about all the time and, and what he really harps on in, in manufacturing. Because he, right now, the way we have it set up is he runs all manufacturing and I run all marketing and finance. And that's our, our division of the business. And so like, he's a a firm believer in that, that fail fast and fail cheap mindset of like, let's try it, test it, prototype it. And you know what, if it doesn't work, scrap it and move on before we dump a bunch of other time in it. Right. Because we didn't do that when we started, our first failures were really expensive and really time consuming. Yeah. Because we just had no idea. Um, But we've learned enough now that we can, we can just kind of, um, you know, learn, learn more avoid quickly the big stuff, and, right? and avoid those, those issues yeah. that, that could put you under. Yeah. yeah.
0: I've had a lot of entrepreneurs tell me that, you know, they can live with the small mistakes because you always make mistakes. You're testing stuff. You're trying things out. You think this is going to work and it doesn't, whatever they can live, but it's the big mistakes that they want to avoid. That's why you're yep. testing and planning and, you know, asking your, your, your clientele and checking with the watch community. Cause you and I both know a lot of people probably don't. There is a whole underground community of people that are into watches huge. and things like that, yep. you know. That's a huge market yeah. and and that's
1: you can avoid you can live through those little things. It's the big ones that'll kill you. And that's that's really so our our next venture. So like one of the one of the issues with Bortic Watch Company right now is that we can only make about one watch a day, so yeah. we, you know, max business. You know, it, it, with all the stuff that we do, is like 400 to 450 watches a year. And even if we charge five thousand watch, um, that's you're, you're still you know a revenue, small business. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, we're we're actually um, later this year we're going to come out with a sister company is what we call it, but a whole separate company, a uh, watch company under the Vortech Watch Company umbrella. So a different um, division, right? Yeah. And, and we're going to make modern watches that are a lot more scalable. Um, we're going to still do everything we do right now. That's not going to change at all. It's a system that's working perfectly. It's a brand that we love. Um, but we're just going to add another thing and this other thing will be more like Shinola if you're familiar with them, but mass mass market appeal, um, 800 to 1200 us dollar price point, um, which is a much more aggressive price point. We can sell thousands, if not 10 thousands of units. Um,
0: Shinola makes yeah, watches and bicycles,
1: point. right? And all kinds of other stuff. And they have a hotel and, yeah, you know, all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff. Yeah, people but, don't uh, know that where cool the expression brand.
0: comes. You don't know shit from Shinola. <laughs> they don't know the expression, yep. but that's where it comes from, right? That's where it comes from. They used yep. to make yep. uh, brown shoe polish or something like that.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's and fun. so so that's we're, our new brand is going to directly compete with them as far as uh, market share, price point. Um, you know, uh, they're they're one of the only American watch companies besides us, and so um, we'll compete with them. and And the way we're getting there, and the way we're going to market everything, is is really all the stuff that we're talking about right now. Um, we're we're doing a YouTube show called uh-huh. Custer and Wolf building a watch company. Oh, so, cool. um, Tyler and I on camera. Every week, discussing the ins and out of the business and what we're doing, behind-the-scenes video, like
0: your own reality, all show.
1: kinds of stuff. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that. and, I like and that. that's
0: a great marketing idea. Is that your idea?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tyler yeah. and I, um, you know, came up with that idea, of trying to like, how do we, you know, our investors challenged us to say like, okay, cool, you want to start this this sister company or whatever, and you want to take on Shinola, like that's a big goal. That's really cool. But like, why do people care? Like, are you going to make the watch special in any way? And we're like, ah, we don't we don't want to make a crazy watch that like is super niche anymore. We want to make a mass market appealing watch. Right. And so how do we make it special without making it crazy looking or whatever? And one of the best ways to make it special is to to access that following of people and they feel create this. They know this. you and they know what's going on That's that part yeah, of your life. Like people, yeah, no, that's a lot one, to be said for one that, of the, right? Well, and one of the biggest things I've learned about business is like people like in investing every single one of our investors they told me we didn't like more tick watch company is cool but like we invested in rt and tyler oh no like question they, they invest it. in us as humans, oh yeah right? because you're not you have nothing yeah. to invest in it's just you guys if you can't execute, especially at first you're done yeah, yeah at first yeah. Of and course. so so from an investment standpoint you know that's a pretty good example but then also from a customer standpoint you know we have we have so many customers when they leave us reviews, they say, you know, I'm really glad that, you know, like, thanks to RT for talking to me at this this trade show or whatever that I met him or, you know, I'm, I'm really, like, really thankful for, for Kyle, who's our operations uh, manager who talks to most of our customers now. Like Kyle was so helpful, like helping me pick which case I want and all that stuff. Like they call us out by name. They're not just buying this watch. It's like they're working with a small business and a human and a face that's behind right. it. And so we want to just triple down on that idea because we just, we know it'll work from our experience.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, you it, it's hard to differentiate them. I mean, you make another sneaker, you make another watch, you make another pair of glasses. Yeah. You know, then it's all marketing. You're just trying to create a brand behind something and it doesn't just, you know, it, 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 I think. The human side of it, and being able to connect with people and see your world and what you go through, and
1: uh, people resonate—you know—with that, they really well. Of- and, and and for me, you know, the like, like I said, my, my parents were both in, in advertising and PR their whole careers. Um, there's a huge difference between marketing and advertising, right. and a lot no of people don't get that deep, right? Right. So what we do at Vortech is marketing. We don't spend money much. I mean, we a little bit here and there, but we don't spend advertising dollars on magazine ads or uh, digital marketing, like uh, you know, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, that kind of stuff. We do like traditional marketing, connecting with customers. This YouTube show is a great example. Um, We're building a brand that's going to be around for hopefully decades, if not centuries. And so if you want to do that, you do marketing and from marketing, people invest in your brand from advertising people buy your products makes sense. And there's That's a good. very distinct difference for there sure. that we're trying to just again, triple down on. Right. For sure. For sure.
0: So how many employees you got now? Um, Five total. Including you guys or that are working for the two of you?
1: Uh, There's seven of us uh, total.
0: Yeah. Okay. And what would you say now, or some of the more, cha- that, you know, on a daily basis challenges that you've had to face that like, if you were, if somebody was getting started in business, you would say, "Hey, you know, don't do this or do it this way." Or you know, <laughs> advice, advice for people that are listening, and just getting started, and they think they don't need a business plan
1: because they don't listen to me, so they're listening to you. What would be some <laughs> advice you would give them? Um, number one piece of advice that that I like to share is is um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, asking for help from you know investors, advisors, business partners. Um, your customers especially um, you know we one of one of the worst things we ever had to deal with was um, early on we got sued by the swatch group um, which <laughs> is the world's largest I was all kinds of people. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, <laughs> for, for years of that lawsuit, I, I didn't ask for help. I just kind of took it on. I figured it out. Like I, I found the attorneys and we just, we just fought, you know, and, right. and it was eating at me and it was killing me, you know, it was just, um, yeah, it was not, really it's never hurting good.
2: us. Right. It's never yeah.
1: Good. And, and when, when I finally sent an email to, you know, we, we have tens of thousands of people on our email list. When I sent an email about it to our list, the outpouring of help was insane it's one of the reasons we did so well in 2020 is because i just at one point i was just like let's just be hyper transparent about everything um and when that switch flipped it was huge because you know again it's that investing in your brand and your product versus buying your your thing um people were but they felt like they were part of our story and our journey because they were they were buying a watch, but they were also helping a, a small American company take on the Goliath that is watch. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, so that, that was That's really cool. So definitely yeah. just, just ask for help. Right. right. And, and I like advice If boards, you think mentors. you might need it. Yeah, of course. Exactly. All that kind of stuff. Coaches, yeah. business coaches, you know, uh, business partners, like don't be afraid of of, of bringing in someone that's an expert in something that you're not. Um, yeah. And learn uh, it, it, even, even avoid the big mistakes,
0: right. That's how you avoid the big mistakes for that sure. Yeah.
1: Great. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people take um, like they, they, they don't take advantage of the fact that, you know, I, I don't, I don't make the watches. I don't touch a single part that we make. Right. My job is marketing. And yeah. so um, when, when we have a problem, it's so valuable to walk in and, and ask, you know, like Tyler walks up to, to one of our machinists who's making the parts. She's just like, Hey, there's this thing I'm working on for this other project. Like, what do you think? You know, right. or, or, you know, we're, we're talking about our social media strategy for next year. And it's just like, Hey, like, I don't, I don't do it. I'm not the one actually posting the pictures on Instagram. Right. So hey, person that does that for us, what do you think? You know, right. what, what 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 would you do? Um, have you fi- found any other softwares that can help all this stuff? And um, you know, it, people aren't going to just volunteer to help you, <laughs> right? <laughs> even right. if they even if they're an investor, like whatever. No, so no, you, people you love to, to help, that.
0: but they don't do it on their own. You gotta, yeah, say hey, I need your help now. I'm very curious as a lawyer and as people listening, what in the world? So you're making one of a kind watches from repurposing pro- pocket watches and so forth. What in the world is Swatch suing you? They have a plastic watch that has nothing to do with what you guys sell. The only difference is, I mean, the only similarity is if they both tell time. So besides that, I don't see it. What what in the world were they suing you about?
1: Yeah. Well, so the Swatch Group, and a lot of people just don't know this, but um, Swatch Group is 26 different brands, I think ah, at this point, they, okay. they have Swatch that, that you're, own you know, a lot of it. it's like Budweiser like owns all these beers and you don't even know it, exactly. Same, right. same, same difference. Right. So, um, so Swatch owns Omega. That's the largest brand that they own, um, that okay. everyone's familiar I didn't with. I know that. Um, okay. but they also own a brand called Hamilton. Okay. And as you just saw on our website. Oh, yeah, right. And you're it,
0: repurposing the Hamilton. Yeah. Right.
1: So the Hamilton Watch Company started in Lancaster, Pennsylvania in 1889, I believe. Okay. And and they made some of the world's best pocket watches in Pennsylvania for 100 years. And then they went under. And um, the Swatch Group, um, or a uh, holding company that went on to become the Swatch Group, bought the rights to that brand in the early 70s. And so, or whatever, right? Yeah, and so they own the trademark on the word Hamilton as it pertains to watches. Got we it. make watches that say Hamilton right on the face. You understand after discussing it that um, that's the original face of that pocket watch. It's a hundred years old, and so we're not touching it. We're not using their brand to make money. We're just taking a pocket watch, turning a wristwatch, and calling it a Vortek. Um, they did not understand that at first and so they sued us over trademark infringement and counterfeiting um and it took almost seven years um wow. and we took them through every level we um we they could have appealed to the supreme court a few months ago and they decided to drop the case instead of going that just far. recently it's like that yeah long. very very recently yeah i mean it's they sued us before we shipped our first watch and we won won the lawsuit outright and it's totally over just a few months ago. So, yeah, how did they know? Um,
0: you're not even shipping. Well, I guess you're advertising and you're marketing. Right?
1: We put a, yeah, yep. we yeah, put an advertisement why. in Watch Time Magazine, the, <laughs> the, the largest U.S. watch magazine. And we put our name on it we said, we're taking pocket watches and turning to wristwatches. And we showed an example and the example that we happened to use was a Hamilton pocket watch turned into a wristwatch. And so they sued us. And yeah. And now I know more about trademark law than yeah, any entrepreneurship, right now it's,
0: it's good to know. Look, I'm sure they have a big law firm on retainer, and the associate's yeah. job was assigned to that for account. Sure. Says just keep looking and searching and yeah. finding things. Oh yeah, I don't, Obviously. I
1: don't hold anything against them in terms of, of that kind of stuff. It's the way I look at the business, at lawsuits right? like that. Is I mean, it's it's a difficult conversation between a couple of people that work for two different companies, and um, it could have been resolved at any point if we came to terms, and we couldn't. So attorneys got involved and, you know, judges got involved and here we are. Well, if it, if it makes you feel any better, uh, when
0: I, so when I started the accidental entrepreneur about three years ago, I guess about maybe six, eight months ago, I filed a trademark on the name, the accidental entrepreneur. And I had already given up the rights to the word entrepreneur, right. In and of itself, you disclaim that. I get contacted by entrepreneur, which owns entrepreneur.com entrepreneur yeah, Magazine, yeah. and which they do all the time. Anytime you use the word. So I ended up withdrawing. I didn't want to be bothered with it, but I do have colleagues of mine that would go after them and I deal with it, but I just withdrew the application and said, listen, we'll move on with our lives and learn to coexist. But they didn't like that. I was using, it wasn't like I was infringing on them. I'm, this has nothing to right. do with them, but they didn't like the word, you know? So I guess it takes a while for people to come around, but it's a good. Good lesson.
1: Well, you know, in another lesson there is trademark um, Vortech, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, we have that. Um but but the the lesson I learned from from all that about the law, especially trademark and IP laws, is um, a, a trademark and a patent is only as good as the money that you have to protect it and support For it. Pure. 100%. Um, and, and those huge companies have tons of money to protect and support their trademarks and yeah. and and that's the only defense they have against People like me and you trying to come in. That's and why use I one of the words application. That's in their name. It
0: wasn't worth my time, <laughs> aggravation, or money. Yeah. But it's true. People ask me, "Oh, well, we trademarked this thing, or we, we, you know, whatever." And somebody's knocking it off in China. What are we going to do? I go, "What are we going to do? Going to do nothing because <laughs> yeah, yeah. this guy's selling it out of the back door of a factory, right. and, you know." And yeah. look, it adds some legitimacy to what you're doing, right? If whatever it is is being knocked off, then obviously they think it has some viability. But you just For can't, sure. like you said, you can't
1: do. Well, and that's and yeah, that's what seven. my that's that, that was the first thing my dad said when we when I called him about the lawsuit is he was just like well um, you've made it you've officially made it you right. got sued by the largest company yeah. in your industry so you're on their radar. <laughs> If they thought you weren't worth anything they wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, huge life lessons out all that stuff, obviously huge stress, huge financial, uh, stress that all that, that went through and, you know, a, a whole, uh, you, you mentioned entrepreneur, there was actually a entrepreneur magazine story about me and, and Vortic and, and the whole battle and all that. Nice. And it was, it was pretty cool. You know, I, I'm very thankful to them for, um, for, for telling that story because not, not very many people, um, would or or, right. or seem to seem to understand the whole the background all that stuff. So well, they go after um, every
0: little f*shunking a guy using the word entrepreneur in any respect,
1: <laughs> and will yeah. sue them and whatever.
0: That's why my colleagues are like, "I'll go after them. They're terrible." But yeah. you know, they're trying to protect their mark. I mean, that's their intent. Yeah,
1: and it's and and you know, to the same point, it's it's not them. You know, like it's not like the CEO or the, the publisher or head editor at entrepreneur magazine sees your brand and is like, yeah, it never makes screw it those guys. Let's that's go right. get them. It's like, to your point, they have a retainer with a, with a law firm. That's, that's their, their job is to protect their trademark at all yeah. costs. Yeah. Um. And, and so, you know, the people that I worked with at entrepreneur were absolutely phenomenal humans that told my story and really cared about me as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and those are, those are not the, you know, the journalists are not yeah. the, uh, the attorney. So it's yeah, just, if you think about it, it the attorney wants to go after everybody, he problem. generates
0: fees that way.
1: Yeah. But everything that's... he can make into a case. He's like, let's
0: go after them, you know, and the, yeah. if the entrepreneur yeah. magazine big enough, they don't care.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so it's, it's like you said, it's business. And so, yeah. um, so, you know, and you got to, a lot of times you got to separate personal from business, not take some of that stuff personally. And, um, and that's really, that's really hard. And and that would, that would kind of be my, my last and, and other piece of advice is just like, you know, if, if you, if you want to get into business for yourself and be an entrepreneur, um, you have to be strong. Like you have to scandal. just yeah. be ready for anything. Um, right. especially in today's world, like, Who knew a a pandemic was going to hit? Who knew uh, inflation was going to hurt us so, so bad. Who knew um, the the supply chain was going to be absolutely ripped out from under us us overnight? I don't think
0: people really appreciate the globalness of everything that we do. The littlest part. You said not all your parts come from the United States. It's like 90% or somewhat, right? So there always could be something. You know, my cousin couldn't get his couch because they couldn't get the
1: glue the yeah, glue. that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. I mean, we we are struggling right though, now yeah. with with our our leather straps, you know, the wristbands the for the, the watch, and it's itself, and it's it's not um it, it's not so much the leather is so, in some ways like some types of leather are kind of behind, it's the the labor, you know, like oh, there's sure. the, there's this massive, especially entry level, entry level labor shortage that's yeah. happening right now, um and and you need someone to to punch a piece of leather out of a big, a bigger piece of leather and then sew it and stitch it together. And that's, you know, I don't know, a $15 an hour job. And right. It sounds like people don't want to make only that now. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So I appreciate all that stuff. You told us a little bit about what's, what's ahead, right? You're working on this new company. So we may see some new products from you guys in the future.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, uh, it's Vortechwatches.com. Is that the website?
1: Yeah, uh, we, we we say uh, Vortec, like vortex and TikTok. Right, it's so it's V-O-R-T-I-C watches.com.
0: Yeah. Okay, we'll put a link in the show notes. And I appreciate okay. spending some time with me. And uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. Let's definitely stay in touch. I want to see how the business grows. But if anybody's looking for a unique watch, get on their mailing list, go to their website. You got one day to pick it out and that's it. And then you got to wait that's for it. another one to come. Now, when you make, this is my one last question. When you make your yeah. inventory, right? How far mm-hmm. out are you from the manufacturing standpoint? Like the one that was released today, it wasn't finished yesterday, right?
1: That, yeah, the one, one that was, that was to released today was was manufactured, like finished and started quality control about 25 days ago. So you're always um, about, you're we, slated out about a month. 25%. Right now we're trying to stay a month out. Um, our next goal is once we get to a month out, we'll go to seven watches a week. Um, and then once we get there, we'll get to at least a month out at seven watches a week. And, and it's, you know, you kind of have to stage gate that, that supply chain process. Um, and so those are our goals and yeah, we, bottom line, we really want to stay at least a month out. Um, again, just in case we don't know what's going to happen, who knows what's going to happen in 30 of course. days. Um, Right, things could shut down, then you
0: got to make up for it. I would think if yeah. the inventory is not a problem, you can go to an, a ten a.m. and a two a two p.m. release, and you can do two a day. <laughs> that would double your
1: revenue. We we could, and it would, um, but you know there is diminishing returns at some point from a branding standpoint. Sure. Um, we we love the fact. I, I think seven seven a week is great. It's one every day. That's hundreds of watches a year, um, which is which is a decent amount of revenue. And every single customer that buys one knows that they got one of only about 365 watches. And man, is that cool? People love that.
0: Definitely in the watch community. They love they love that
1: kind of stuff. So
0: uh RT, I can't thank you enough for spending time with me. Um, say hi to Tyler. I wish I could, we should have had him on with you. (laughs) (laughs) Next time we'll do it again.
1: You can interview him next week. I mean, he can tell you all about manufacturing and yeah. and like all the hard i mean it's a whole separate conversation for sure all um, right and and he can really speak to the accidental side um because he he was not set out originally to be a, a machinist and running the manufacturing <laughs> side of a business and and he would be the first to tell you that so um yeah happy to to continue this conversation whenever you'd like i really appreciate you having me on the show um thanks yeah, just for thank joining you. me all right have a good weekend
0: thank you you too If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, and many of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at bindhackerlaw.com. The Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted and produced by me, Mitch Beinhacker. If you'd like more information about my legal services, you can find me on social media or visit my website at BeinhackerLaw.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.